Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. And today, we're going to be talking about a topic that kind of goes hand in hand with anxiety, and that is depression. So it's a heavy topic today. I, I hope to be honest and vulnerable, talking from some of my experience. But guys, today's actually my 30th birthday as well. Yeah, thank you. So on my 30th birthday, I get to preach about depression to you. Happy birthday. No, in all fairness, John allowed me to have a, a category of things that I would preach about today. But I wanted to speak on this one because it's personal to me. That in this series, as we're looking to, on an escape room, as we're looking to kind of talk about some of the things that maybe have been a little taboo, the things of mental health that could have been ignored in generations past, we don't believe that we can ignore them any longer. You know, it's such an important issue for us. And in church, oftentimes our default mode has been to just sweep it under the rug. But what happens when the pile under the rug gets too big? We have to deal with it. And, and this is where we're at, at this point in time in our history as a country. So about 10 years ago, they, uh, they did a study, and it showed that about 8% of American adults were dealing with depression. That same study was, done, was concluded again last year to see that it had jumped to 33%. So that means that if that statistic stays true, that one in every three of us in this room is suffering from depression today. That's staggering. How can we continue to ignore it? It's such an important issue. But it helps us to also be able to put some definition to depression, right? Because it's kind of elusive. It's kind of, it seems kind of fluid sometimes. And this is how the Mayo Clinic described it. Depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and a loss of interest. Also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, it affects how you feel think and behave and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble in your normal day-to-day -day activities, and sometimes you may feel as if life isn't worth living. This is a heavy topic, but it needs to be talked about. Amen? So, I, today, I don't want to make you guys my therapist. I don't want to anything like that. I don't want to glorify depression, but I want to talk open and honestly about it my journey with it, and so that hopefully someone else can find healing as well, because that's what we're here to do. So for me, depression, we go way back. The first time I remember having anything of depression was probably about the age of seven. The first time I, I remember I was struggling so bad with isolation, you know, I just loved I mean, there was a normal kid, loved to sit around and play Mario Kart in my room, but oftentimes it was kind of to just be alone and to avoid. I also had often out, like, angry outbursts. And I remember at the age of seven communicating with my parents. I was like, I don't know why, but I just don't feel like a desire to live. And at seven, you don't really have words for it. You don't have categories in what you're going through. It's hard to process those things. And then I found that as I continued on in life, it seemed to come up about every seven years in my life. I, I was in my teenage years and was going through all the rebellious, like emo phase and all that. And then it came in my adult age again. And so it's even happened again in these recent years. And it's hard. It's hard to talk about sometimes. It's hard to process and want to go through, but it's what God is calling us to do. 
But even through all that, I still never recognized it. I never categorized it as depression. And in the last Sunday of 2018, I remember standing on the stage and I was preaching. I was preaching from Isaiah this morning. And the passage is talking about how if God's people would repent and we would turn towards God's, we would acknowledge his ways and we'd live them out, that he'd bring healing to the land. And that if we would do that, the places that were once desolate would once team again with life. What was lifeless would become fruitful. And I remember I was looking this direction over this way and God said, I wanna heal depression in this church. I wanna heal anxiety. I wanna heal mental illness. And I said, yes, God, let's do it. Little to know that I needed the healing. At this point in time, I didn't know what it was that I was going through. I said, yes, Lord. I thought I was declaring healing over this house, but I didn't understand the depths of what I was about to walk into. And at that point in time, you know, we had the Clearbrook campus up and running. Everything was going well. Everything was up and to the right. Um, And it was just a wonderful experience. I was doing what God called me to do. I was being faithful to all that he had for me. And in those moments, something still felt off. We came to these times where we should be celebrating the wins of what God was doing and celebrating the life change, but yet I still felt like I had to fake in an excitement. I knew I should be excited, and genuinely I was, but as I went to try to express it, I felt like I was, I was dipping my bucket into a dried up well and I just kept hitting the bottom. I'm trying to find something to pull up, some type of excitement, some type of emotion, and it wasn't there. I didn't know how to categorize it. I was going through something that felt so dark and deep and I couldn't see the end of the tunnel. But all that I knew is that I just needed to keep pressing on, that, I, that God would be faithful. And that was in the summer of 2019. And about that time in our country, there was a few pastors who were about the same age as I am who had actually taken their own lives. And I remember that this shook me to my core and made me start to evaluate and ask some questions. Because I was like, Lord, I, like, I don't know what they were going through, but gosh, I don't want that to be me. They're a pastor. One of these guys was actually even a spokesperson for suicide prevention. And I was like, man, I don't want to find myself in this place. And it was hard because surely I'm a pastor. I shouldn't be going through this. I, don't think, I didn't think Christians went through this stuff. I thought that those things were left in my old life. You know, Jesus said, it is finished, but why am I living in this tension between what I know to be true, but what I'm currently experiencing? And yet in the moment, I had to be honest with myself. I had to get before the Lord, and I just had to process things. You see, back in September, we had, uh, we had to closed down the Clearbrook campus. You know, after a long year, we, we were going and going and eventually it just came the best decision to bring everybody back here. We were still in the middle of COVID and all that. But there were so many what ifs in that, in that season. There were so many things that were going on that I didn't have answers for. I couldn't find us a building. I couldn't, I couldn't make mountains move in that season. And so there's so many things that left internalized. And I found myself having my first panic attacks in my life where my body had kind of was so tired. My mind was just so worn out that it was like, all right, this is it. Hey, we're going to, we're going to 
kind of manifest in this way. It was, I had no context for this. I didn't, I didn't know how to process these things. And if I can be honest today, I'm still processing them. If you know me, you would probably not think, hey, this guy's going through this or he's going through one of these things. For me, I, I process a lot of this stuff by myself. I have some friends that I, I'm able to share and open up with. I can, I can, of course, go to the Lord before these things, but God also brings people into our life. So if you know me, you may, this might be the first time you're hearing some of this. But what I know is that I can trust God on this journey. Maybe you found yourself in a similar place before. or Maybe if you're honest, you would say, I am one of those three people today. I want to say this. I don't know everything about depression. I have my experiences. But here's what I do know. Even when we are at our lowest moments, God does not leave us to figure it out alone because depression does not get the last word. Amen, church? Amen. But I also take courage and that we are not the first of God's people to struggle with this. That God's word actually has encouragement for us today if we are going through this. And so today we're going to take a look at Elijah. And Elijah goes from this mountaintop moment with the Lord, and then all of a sudden we find him running from everything, hiding in a cave, asking for the Lord to take his own life. Will you pray with me before we open God's word today? Lord, we just submit this to you. God, this is a heavy topic. And these are not always easy things to talk about. I ask that your presence would just be here. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying today. And Lord, that you would just come in and give us peace, Lord, if we are searching for it today, knowing that you are good, you are faithful, and God, that you're not going to leave us in these moments. So Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings 19. I'm going to be reading about half of that chapter here. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. But verse 1 starts, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. We're going to pause right there for a minute. You see, Elijah's done a lot already. He's introduced just a few chapters before this. But in that time, God has used him to tell King Ahab that there's about to be a three-year drought. That there's going to be a famine across the land. And after he tells King Ahab, he's on the run. And the Lord sends him to the Jordan River and has him set up camp there for three years. And God is faithful. He provides for him. He sends ravens to bring him water and bread. I don't know about you. I've never seen that. I've never seen a raven bring me any bread. If it happens to you, I'd love to hear about it. But from there, then three years later, he says, all right, it's time to go back to King Ahab. I got another assignment for you. Tell King Ahab to bring all the prophets of Baal and all the people of Israel and go meet you at Mount Carmel. And so this happens. And all of a sudden we see a showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And so there's over 400 prophets of Baal that are present and just Elijah. And he's like, all right, come on. I'm like, I'm here to rumble. We're going to see who the real God is today. And so they set up two altars. There's one altar for a sacrifice to Baal, and then there's another altar for a sacrifice to Yahweh, to God. And he says, all right, you guys go first. I'll give you all day. And so they're dancing around their altar, asking for the Lord to show them a sign, to burn up their offering. And so they're dancing around, they're making noise, they're weeping and crying and doing anything they can. They're even mutilating their bodies to try to see if they can get a response out of their God. And Elijah's just kind of a cocky dude. He's like, 
where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom? Do you need to go wake him up? Scream a little louder. And I'm like, dude, come on. That's like, (laughs) that's pretty crazy. And then he gives them all day. And then at the end of the day, he starts to pray. And as soon as he prays, fire comes down from heaven and burns up the offering. Proving that God is who he says he is, that he is their protector, that he is their king. And after this, the response is, is that the prophets of Baal are taken and then they are killed. Cleansing out the land. And then God says, all right, Elijah, go seek me again and pray. And when he did that, the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to end the drought now. Look out for rain. And this brings us up to this moment. This is all that Ahab had told Jezebel after he killed the prophets with the sword. Verse two, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, talking about the prophets of Baal who just died. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And when he had asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And again, the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for, you, for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. As one translation says, a thin silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek me to take my life away. He gave the Lord the same reply twice. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint King Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah. You shall, I got that one right, so just, I didn't get it right for a service. Shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel 
all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What are we to learn from this? What does God want us to learn from the story of Elijah? I believe it's this, that you can try to run from all the things that may bring depression, but God will not leave you alone in the middle of depression. For his word tells us that he is always with us, but we also see in his word that many of his children had to go through hard things. If Jesus wasn't exempt from the cross, then you and I will not be exempt from the troubles of this world. We get, to, we get to control how we react, how we process the things of this world. And before we kind of dive into some application, I want to make two things clear. This message is not prescriptive. What I mean by that is this is not a three-step plan for how you, know, you fully overcome depression. It is not you follow this 100% and your problems are gone. This is also not a game plan for you to avoid pain. Because if his prophets went through it, if his son went through it, won't we have troubles as well? So I think that that's important for us to understand is that we cannot avoid pain in this life and we cannot get a 10-step plan to get out of these problems. But what we need to do is that when we do find ourselves in depression, or I think there's three things we find in the scripture that are helpful. We need to, one, slow down. Two, we need to process and three, we need to invite God in. And the first one is we need to slow down. We just need to create space to heal. Elijah did, I think, what most of us would have done in this situation. He ran. The first thing we see is that Elijah's fight or flight instincts kick in, and his first instinct was to run. And to me, as I read this, I actually felt, found this kind of surprising because he went from this mountaintop moment where God is sending down fire. I don't know about you. I've never seen God send down fire from the sky. Uh, you would think that maybe that would rise up a little bit more faith in you. Um, but then all of a sudden, now he's running from everything and is hiding in a cave. I mean, what happened? Just a few passages before where we read, it said that the Lord's hand was on Elijah. God had provided for Elijah in the past. You know, we talked about the ravens and all the other things that he had done. He showed up in power at Mount Carmel when he was facing the prophets of Baal. Would God not have provided for him once again in his current situation? Does like Elijah not realize this? But instead, we find Elijah under a tree nearly 100 miles from where his journey began. And he says to God, look, this is too much. Just take my life. Elijah's hit rock bottom. And it's like if he, it's almost as if he's saying, like, if Jezebel's going to take my life, then Lord, just let me die alone. Don't let me get dragged back into the public square and put on display like we just did with the prophets of Baal. Like, save me that honor. Save me the shame. Save me all these things that, you know, if I'm the last of your prophets, which is the narrative we hear him saying, if I'm the last of your prophets, why would you let the last prophet go this way? At this point, he's out in the middle of the desert without any types of provisions. He ran so quickly, it says, he obviously didn't have any food. He didn't have any water. It's likely that he just got up and just ran. But we see God provide for him. God sent him an angel to tend to his needs. Elijah was willing to unconsciously slide into eternity, but God had other plans for him. And the angel gets him a jar of water, bakes some cakes, 
wakes him up and tells him that he needs to eat and drink. And then the angel does this not once, but twice. And it's all because he said, the journey you're about to go on, it's too great for you. What you're going through right now is a hard thing. It's too great. Elijah, you are in need of provisions. You need to create space to heal. And I think that we need to take inventory of our own life as well. There's so many things that we can do. I'm going to be practical today. I'm going to try to share from some of my experience. But we kind of need to check the basics in our life. Like, how's your diet? It got a cloud. And that goes with sleep. How's your sleep going? How is your exercise? How is your spiritual life? And real quick, I find that if my diet is consuming of too much sugar and caffeine... I'm in a worse place. That's just me personally. That's what I figured out in my own journey, that the caffeine actually works as kind of like negatively impacts me and all of that. Second is sleep. If you're not sleeping well, you're not probably doing much of anything well, let's be honest, right? And then just a couple summers ago, I had found myself that I was not sleeping. I was not sleeping well. I did some sleep studies and found out that I had like sleep apnea, that I was, I was waking up something like 30 times an hour or something like that. So what helped me was I got a CPAP. So practically, if, if you're having trouble sleeping and you ain't breathing, go get a CPAP. It might help. It might help a lot. Next is your exercise. Doesn't mean you need to go get a gym membership or anything like that, but maybe, you know, maybe a couple times a week you go on a walk with a friend. Maybe you go hiking. Maybe you, you know, find some recreational sports. Something that gives you life. Something that's fun. Something that you can, you can look forward to that's physical. But then also, you can't neglect your life spiritually. You can't not be praying to God. You can't not be creating space for him to speak into your life. You need to be in his word, and you need to be examining your life and allowing God to speak specifically to the things that you're going through. I think that if we don't get that spiritual part right, we could be doing all the other things right, and it kind of negates it all to, a, to an extent. But I also want to add is that you probably need, to, if you are going through something like this, you probably need to be communicating with your doctor. You need to be getting a doctor. You, at this church, we believe that God does miracles, but we also believe that medical professionals do good things too. Amen? And so I've been on medications before. It has helped and helped me press through a season. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm always on them or any of those things. And once again, here's my life. I'm being tr transparent and vulnerable with you today. But you may need to talk with your doctor and see that in a season, maybe a, a medication is necessary. And don't be ashamed of that. Come on. It, you getting better is way better than you staying in shame and all these other things the rest of your life. Just your pastor being honest with you today. But why? Why don't we want to process these things? Why don't we want to take inventory of this? Because to be honest, our body keeps score. Did you know that? Have you ever felt that before? That, you know, maybe what you're going through, you might be able to muscle on for a while, but eventually your body calls for you to repay all the debts that you were cashing in in that last season. And I've had this happen to me. And I'm not just saying, I'm, I'm talking from experience here. This has happened to me. In a moment of depression, I, I would try to stay busy. I would try to do as much activity as possible because I believe that if I just kept myself busy, then I wouldn't have to face the situation. 
that eventually it would just go away. So it was so easy to say yes to every engagement. I would throw myself deeper into work. Anything that I could do to run from the problem, just like Elijah did. But I found myself in the same place as Elijah as well on the flip side of that. When the energy ran out, when, there was, when the bucket ran dry, the well ran dry, I was on the opposite end. I found myself doing nothing at all. I would sit and binge Netflix for hours. I mean, hey, sometimes that's just a good Saturday. But when it's your everyday, it's probably not good. And it's probably a sign of something going on. Because what I found is that it was easier to live in the narrative of some TV show than to embrace what I was actually going through. Oh, if I could just fake it a little bit more over here, if I could just live over here and just entertain myself for a little while, maybe I can compose myself long enough to go do what I need to do. But then you find yourself not wanting to get out of bed any longer. You find yourself that you're facing the troubles of the day. And those are probably the same ones that kept you up the night before, and you don't want to have to go face them. And like Elijah, we can just kind of lay down and we can give up. But we need to understand that the, the root cause of what's going on, we can't run from them. And that's why we need to move to the second point, which is to process. We need to understand the root of the problem and in my research, I found that depression can be caused by a variety of things. It can, be, it can be your genetics. It can be faulty mood regulators in your body. But one of the most common denominators for most people with depression is stressful life events. And I'm not talking about like the life events where it was like the Starbucks line was too long this morning or you couldn't find a seat at the Apple Blossom Parade. Not those types of stressful life events. I'm talking about the ones that leave a lasting impact. Maybe the traumatic events that you went through in a, as a child, or maybe you went through in your teens or later, at some point in time, I think we've all probably accumulated at least one or two of those types of experiences in our life. Those type of ones are the ones we find help bring depression. And what we found was even more so is that if they went unprocessed, if we don't take the time to process them, if we don't allow ourselves to understand kind of what's going on, how it's impacting our body, we actually start a cycle of depression. You know, the one where it's like, oh, I'm depressed. I kind of got over it for a little while, but then as soon as my body slowed down again, I found myself right back in the same place. That type of depression. And so what stops us though from processing? And I think in my own experience, to be honest, I didn't know it was helpful. No one had told me, if I, hey, if you just slow down and you process this thing, you may not have to go through this cycle. Because for everything that I had heard from some of the people in my life, I was like, dude, you just got to get over it. Man up. Anyone else heard that one? Just man up, dude. You ain't a boy anymore. And if I let it slow me down, then I was weak. But that is anything but the truth. So it became easier to bottle it, everything up. And then what do I do when that bottle's full? Do I place it on the shelf and go grab another one? And I love what C.S. Lewis said as he was pinning a book called The Problem with Pain. And it came at a time when he had just lost his wife from just a heartbreaking disease. And he said this, he said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. 
How many of us today could say that our heart is broken? My mindset changed in these past few years, but it's still difficult to talk about. Even as I was prepared for today, it was, wasn't easy. I'm like, all right, here's my soul. Just here I am, wide open. It's still difficult to talk about. But the reason I feared it before was because I was, I was nervous as what I would uncover. You know, and if I uncovered something, would I have the endurance? Would I have the, enough strength in me to actually go through it? Would I have enough courage to do so? Because what happens if I open a can and I can't get the lid back on? Um, I was scared that if I acknowledged it, then maybe it would drag me further under. But can I tell you that these were lies I was telling myself to avoid dealing with the problem again. Nonetheless, we have to do this hard work. We have to do the hard work of processing anyways, processing the emotions that are going on behind it, because really we can't move forward as if nothing has happened. And I can say from my own experience that sometimes it is helpful. Yes, it's helpful to process with friends, but sometimes it is helpful to process with a mental health professional. I had found a great Christian counselor who was able to help me with some of the things that I was struggling with. It didn't solve anything. There's no magic bullet to this thing. But what it did was it allowed me to start peeling back the layers, understanding what's actually going on, that there's more going on than just what you can see on the surface. And so I had to be willing to go do that. But what I love in this passage is that God does that for Elijah. And he does it simply by saying, what are you doing here? As if God didn't know what was going on with Elijah, Elijah gives the Lord the same answer twice. I kind of feel like God was actually looking for Elijah to give him a, sec- a different answer the second time. But I mean, we'll just, we'll just kind of chalk it up that Elijah was in his funk. It's almost though as if Elijah was saying, God, why am I here? I've stood for you when no one else was willing to. When everyone abandoned your ways, I stood as a pillar pointing people back to you. I've done hard things for you. So why am I, why are you allowing me to come so close to death, especially if I am your last prophet? You remember, he believed the narrative that he was the last one. But God, what does God tell him? He says, there's 7,000 others. You're not the last one. But it's a narrative that we can kind of believe. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think when we're hoping for something and it doesn't come, that tension, it can almost make us sick. Sometimes it can make us almost sick in our bodies. Elijah wants to see better things for the nation of Israel. He was, he was ready for these hardships that were going on to just kind of, for them to relax, to dissipate a little bit, but he hasn't experienced it and it makes his heart sick. But that's only half of the verse. The second half says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Sometimes just hearing the Lord's voice is enough to heal a sick heart. And I believe that this was the case for Elijah and why he journeyed to Mount Horeb. So what's interesting, and this actually brings us to point three, which is invite God in. Invite God in. What's interesting about Mount Horeb is that this is still a long journey from where he's sitting under that tree. It's kind of out of the way from where the Lord is actually taken to him. It's not the direct route. So why is he going to Mount Horeb? I mean, yes, it's, it says in there that Mount Horeb is actually, they call it the Mount of God. But this is where God showed his glory to Moses. This is where Moses received the law. And when the people 
of God turned from him, this is where God proved his faithfulness one more time. I wonder if that weighed into Elijah's decision as to why he went there. Knowing that he was a prophet of the Lord, would God show his faithfulness to him one more time? That in the midst of what he was going through, even though it was a long and hard journey, would God prove himself faithful to see him through it? Would he speak once again? And what I love in this situation is that Elijah didn't have to invite God to speak. God just invited himself right on in. He didn't even give Elijah a list of things to do. He didn't say, here's this 10-step plan and I'm going to heal everything that's in your heart. Or, hey, if you just do this thing, then I'm going to take away this pain that you've experienced and what you're going through. But what I do love is that God showed up in power. What does it say? He showed up in the wind and he broke apart the rocks on the mountain, but it says he was not found there. He then came with an earthquake, shook everything around Elijah. Everything that could have been going on in life was shaken. And he said, I'm not here either. And then there comes a pillar of fire again, showing God's faithfulness that he's always done to his people. When he's guiding his people, he brings down a pillar of fire. When, he, when Elijah needed God to show up at the altars, he brought down a pillar of fire. And he said, you know what? I'm not in that either. Then there was a whisper. What's funny is we don't even know what that whisper said. Those words in that whisper were not even recorded But what it tells me is that sometimes it doesn't matter. If God speaks to you in those moments, it is enough to heal a sick heart. That today, if you are going through depression, if you are going through this, if you feel like you're going alone, you feel like, God, where are you? I'm in this cave. I'm sinking deeper and deeper back. and, And no ravens have brought me food. God, no angels have come and baked me a cake. God, where are you? I would just invite you, step out of the cave a little bit. Step out to the end of the cave and allow God to speak. Because sometimes it might not even feel like he's saying much at all, but just his presence is good enough to know that I'm going before you and that my plans are good for you, that I will not leave you alone in the middle of this. You may not see the end of the tunnel. You may not know what the end of your path and your journey is, but trust me enough that even though you're going through this, it's painful, my son, my daughter, you're going through these things. Know that I am still found in the middle of it, that I am grooming you, that I am teaching you, that even in your pain, you are in good comfort because I was right there with my son when he was in pain too. So never believe that the Lord is not with you in these moments because he is. His word has proved it over and over again. Maybe he's not coming through with some big miracle in your life. Maybe he's not booming voice from heaven. Maybe it's just that still small voice that you're hearing on the inside. Maybe he's calling you out and just saying, come, come into that prayer place with me. I'll show you things. That's what he did for Elijah. That's what he'll do for us too, church. But we need to take courage. We need to know that his plans are good, that it doesn't all rest on us, that he's not gonna leave us alone. I said it before, there's no magic bullet. There's no 10-step plan. 
I wish I, if, if you were in pain today, I wish I could come and take it all away. But it might be something that the Lord is just calling you to journey with him on because he needs to prove his faithfulness to you. And can I say as a brother, I've been right there and I can tell you it hurts, it's hard, but God is good. Those, those two things don't seem to add up, but can I tell you with the Lord, it does, it makes sense. So what would happen, church, if we stopped pushing this thing under the rug? If we kind of quit alienating those who are kind of depressed, maybe those who just, they, it feels like they're consuming so much of our emotional energy. What would happen if we were okay, we were no longer okay with the pile under the rug, but we took the courage and embraced this inward journey? I believe that God would produce healthier churches. I believe that we would see our own mental health restored and that when we found ourselves in these deep, dark moments, that we would know that we are in a community where it is okay, where we can be in pain, yet still not be theologically incorrect with God and so know that we are still in his presence, that we are still his sons and his daughters, and that he loves us, that we would see an emotionally healthy church in that way that we could then be a light to a community where I'm tired of hearing of our young ones dying each year, where the World Health Organization says that there are 700,000 suicides a year. Just fathom that. That is, that is nearly 350 more of this church. There's 1,000 people or whatever that come through these doors, so or 2,000 in a week. Imagine that. That is huge. And we keep hearing of more and more kids in our community. Guys, they need our example. It's time for us to get real. Come on, get raw. Like if you're scared to, of dealing with what is going on, just know that there's another generation that's looked, looking to your example. Can they trust God enough with the pain that they're dealing? Or will they once again go run to these other religions? Are they going to go run to these other things because they're at least willing to deal with it? For us, we can be a light to our community and we can be an example to our children. In just a couple weeks, we're going to have this Equip Parent Conference. I would encourage you to come out. They're going to be hitting on so many great things. I, I'm going to probably just be here just to learn. Just how can we deal with these things that our kids are going through? My word, like, I'm just glad I'm not going through high school and middle school and all these things again. But they are. And so we need to do what we can to help model this for our, our next generation so that, one, God has a healthy church in the future. But, man, just so that they might have, they might have a leg up that maybe you and I didn't have. Amen? Amen. And today, you just need to know that there's hope. There's hope. This is not the end. God's called you. He's got a race for you to run, and he's not going to end it short. And so today you're just feeling, you know, maybe you're feeling lifeless. Maybe you're feeling like, dude, this is just overwhelming. I was coming in, and I wanted a happy, clappy sermon this morning. Sorry to disappoint you. Happy birthday to me. But I want to pray with you because I'm believing that if God has brought me through it, and I'm still in process, I believe that God can be faithful for you as well. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just come before you and just ask that you would just seal this word in our heart. Lord, give us strength and courage to do the hard things for the places you're calling us into. Lord God, we love you and we give you all the praise.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.